Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another healing conversation brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. My name is Loren Gailey and today we're going to be talking about past life regressions and the in-between. And my guest today is Gayla Ryder, a world-renowned past life regression hypnotherapist and a 30-year astrologist. Now Gayla's been conducting group and individual past life regressions for over 15 years. She's been a frequent workshop leader and presenter at national conferences of ARE, the Edgar Cayce Foundation, also part of the Association of Past Life Research and Therapies and other organizations. Gayla's also listed in the Who's Who in America of 2,000 notable American women. She's also Who's Who in the World and Who's Who in the West. Gayla's also appeared on the Joan Rivers television show and was a frequent guest on CBS's People Are Talking. So, Gayla, good morning and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I also want to mention that you're a certified spiritual regression therapist and you've been taught by Dr. Michael Newton. He's a Ph.D. and the author of Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls. She's been taught by Dr. Brian Weiss, Many Lives, Many Masters author, and Dr. Raymond Moody, an author of Life After Life and many other books. So, Gayla, first, let's talk about past life regression, what past life regression is first. I know some folks may have heard of it, but may not really know what it means, while others may have read all of the books I mentioned and more. So, we need to understand that our soul never really dies. We're here in this present incarnation, but we've been born in other lives on this planet, so we know more and more people are learning that we are infinite beings, we are immortal, our spirit goes on, life never ends, and you say that that hypnosis and regression is a major part of accessing our subconscious and removing unresolved issues, so tell us what is past life regression? Well, you know, some people spontaneously recall past lives. Um, It's easier probably for the majority of people as adults to access past life memories using hypnosis uh, because it's a way of accessing our subconscious. Children uh, go into spontaneous recall of past lives, especially before about age five or six. And there are some people, some therapists, who don't use hypnosis to access past lives. Uh, However, I'd say the majority of past life regressionists do use hypnosis. And, uh, you know, some people think of hypnosis as like a sideshow because they've seen it at state fairs or whatever. And they think, well, most people don't know what they're doing when they're hypnotized and you can be controlled. That's absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, We go into states of hypnosis several times a day. When you watch TV, that's a form of trance. Uh, If you've ever been 
thinking about something else and past your exit on the freeway, that's a form of hypnosis. You know, really hypnosis is a state of real focused intention and um, it's you can focus your uh, intention on any number of things and it helps you access and bring back information if that's what you're focused on. I mean, hypnosis can be used uh, to focus your intention on stopping smoking, on healing, you know, any number of things. But I've been particularly interested in using it to access memories from past lives because I found that patterns often exist over centuries, not just in this lifetime. And if you can get at the core, you can often heal. So tell us what some of those past traumas would be and more about some experiences that your clients have had. Let me start by talking about one of Brian Weiss's, his first book, which I think is a real good introduction if people are not familiar with the field of past life regression. And then if we have time, I'd like to talk about a couple of my own cases. Um, But Brian Weiss, in his first book, Many Lives, Many Masters, talked about his work with a woman he calls Catherine. And Catherine actually was a patient of his, Uh, and also worked at the same hospital that he did. Mm -hmm. Um, Weiss was the head of the Department of Psychiatry and had always described himself as a pretty analytical uh, medicine-based doctor. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me how many of the people that wound up making significant contributions to the field of regression therapy started out basically as uh, atheist, if not actually agnostics. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So Weiss uh, said he really did not believe in God. He was Hasidic Jew by heritage, but really did not practice any faith. And he had um, this co-worker who became so phobic that she would not leave her house. In fact, she often would crawl up in a ball in her closet. And he'd worked with her for a number of months uh, without too much success. One of her phobias was fear of choking. So he said normally with phobias he used medication, but she would not take medication. Um, So he decided to use hypnosis. And then he said he asked a sloppy question when she was in a relaxed uh, hypnagogic state. And he asked her to go back to where this started. Well, she went back several lifetimes. (laughs) And through the process of accessing information, the pattern was very similar to what she was experiencing in her current life. And they wound up working together for, uh, I think it was about three years. Uh, Sometimes people can spontaneously access the core issue and get much better right away, but oftentimes these are uh, lifetimes pile upon lifetimes, and it does take some time. But Weiss now says that he only uses regression therapy because he can uh, eliminate basic core issues in maybe a year or two of regression therapy, what might take 20 years or more in traditional psychotherapy, and you never really get the core stuff. So um, it turned out that Catherine, when she was in that in-between life stage, 
after she had left one lifetime but before she had incarnated into the next life was very psychic she was clairvoyant and she was when she was in trance she was communicating with Weiss's guides and some of his departed relatives and she brought forth mm. information that no one knew uh, except Weiss and uh, her when she was talking with his departed grandfather she uh, gave Weiss his Hasidic Jewish name that he had been given at birth and also talked about um, a son that Weiss and his wife had lost when the baby was only two and a half days old. And this had happened in another state. It had never been written up. No one knew about it. And uh, not only did she know the details, uh, including the rare birth defect that this baby had and described the birth defect, but she also knew his Hasidic Jewish name that the baby had been given. Well, that hooked Weiss. He decided, mm. you know, there's no way she could have known any of this information. And it started him on what would become his wife's work. Mm. He worked with Catherine for about three years, and he said that the more lifetimes they recovered and released uh, the fears or the trauma associated with those repressed uh, lifetimes that had not been dealt with, the better she got. And uh, he wrote his first book, but he said it took him about five years before he was willing to have it published because he knew that as soon as it was published, it would change his life forever. And, uh, but he did finally release it for publication, and uh, there were many people that wrote to him, many doctors and physicians and psychiatrists that praised him because they had had similar experiences with their patients and then, of course, he was attacked by others for being a heretic. Mm. So, uh, Weiss's uh, contribution was quite good because it uh, brought the field much more publicity. I mean, if you would have gone to the library 10 years ago to look for books on hypnosis, past life regression, reincarnation, the pickings would have been pretty slim. But uh, there's probably over three or four hundred really good books out today. So the field is really burgeoning. That must have been profound for him, Brian, to not believe in God and then have that confirmation about his child who had passed away that no one else knew. And then even some of the information that was coming from Catherine during those in-between times was just very interesting so that in itself was his own awakening as well it's almost like spirit uh hooked them up together because this was the work that they were supposed to do it was one of those synchronistic events that she happened to be working at his hospital she became so traumatized that she couldn't work that she would enter into this healing relationship with weiss and out of it would emerge information that would make a significant contribution to the consciousness of the world. And they had known each other, and what, there was another person that was working in the hospital that they had known in, in the previous lives. I think Brian was, he was a, more of a teacher in her life, right? But that is fascinating in itself. So we know other people, and it, it makes us wonder, when we come into these synchronistic events, could that be an indicator that we have known that person from another life? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've done astrology for over 40 years, and, you know, if you would do the chart of 100 people that would never meet and wouldn't know each other, you'd see no uh, matches or linkages between the planets in their charts. But if you do the charts of best friends or husband and wife or mother and daughter, etc., you'll see all these connections. I mean, it gets down to a mathematical uh, you know, measurement that you can see one person's moon might be on the other person's Venus, one person's Mars might be on the other person's Saturn. You can uh, see that we have these sort of like magnetic ley lines that connect us to others. I now want to talk about synchronicity just a little bit more. We were talking before we started this show, but what is synchronicity? You know, it's those uh, amazing coincidences that say that there's something meaningful here. You know, uh, it's sort of, uh, to me, it's sort of like the carrot that keeps us on the path and, and helps us to realize that we're not just imagining something. Um, I think, uh, what was the name of the book uh, that started um, the author that wrote about, uh, you know, there might be two pathways, one might seem a little more illumined, and uh, mm. that was synchronicity to him, you know, that you learn discernment and to trust your intuition, and that helps you, the synchronicities helps to keep you on the path. And it's almost, you know, you and I, we have our own synchronicity. And I, I'll i share more about that in a moment. We can discuss that. It's fascinating. But, you know, it's almost as if we really should be just looking for coincidences, looking for synchronicities, little miracles every day, every Absolutely. moment. Yes. And we get so stressed out in the business or in our daily work that we do, wherever that may be, whatever it may be. But it's just so simple. It's as simple as that. So, for example, you and I, you know, not knowing each other, through the Lemuria list, had I discovered and learned about you through a member who had met you at a, at a fair, we had connected a little bit, but I think a week had gone by before we even really touched base again about getting a reading done because I had done a reading with you. And the next thing we know, I was—I had just slipped and fallen on ice and cracked a couple of ribs. And you had mentioned that you did that too. So here in both of our pain, there's the little miracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, very synchronistic. And I think uh, I fell while getting gas at Safeway, but you fell on ice. And so, but the result was the same, you know. And so we may not know what this is, but we just trust that what we're doing is right and Louise Hay's book I, is one of the ones that I really love You Can Heal Your Life have, have you read that one? I have the DVD of her movie You, you Can yeah. Heal Your Life movie Anytime anything happens whether it be a broken rib a cold or whatever in the back of her book she has a section on different illnesses that people develop and body uh, parts and so forth and she had uh, cancer several I think over 40 years ago and the doctors had basically given her a death sentence they said she had less than three months to live go home and get your affairs in order mm. and she very much believed that thoughts were things and what existed in thought eventually showed up in the physical 
so she really dove into what the meaning of what uh, body symptoms she was having uh, were trying to convey to her. And she is alive and well today and has her own publishing company. Um, but that book uh, is my favorite of the things that she's written. And she has different chapters on how to change at an energy level. There's chapters on, you know, how to heal uh, relationships, how to heal and attract the right uh, work situation, the right marriage partner, and also how to heal your physical body. And uh, so, I, you know, she has what the probable thought pattern is behind difficulties with different body parts as well as the affirmation to get things back into balance. So what do you suppose the meaning of ribs? What do you think that's trying to tell us? Well, ribs are where we take in life. Louise doesn't have anything about ribs, but there's another huge book by Michael Lincoln uh, called Messages from the Body. Okay. And um, his thing says rib problems, rib cage, pro rib cage problems, and it says vulnerability, anxiety, they're feeling unprotected, fragile, and open to attack. They have a, a sense of insecurity or a lack of control over things that are happening in their life and exposure. Um, mm. So, you know, it could be that there have been a lot of things hitting you all at once. Uh, yeah. And feeling like, uh, you know, you're always helping other people, but where are they when you need help? Mm. And uh, so it says uh, there could have been a possessive parenting pattern where they were subjected to lack of consideration of their needs, threats of abandonment, demands that they conform to the parents' expectations. And then there's right ribs and left ribs. And uh, right ribs, uh, there can be fear of manifesting uh, self-sabotage, uh, left ribs, uh, there can be a feeling that somehow they deserve uh, to fail. To me, it, it may indicate that uh, the, over, the overall feeling is one of vulnerability and that maybe there's so much going on. Uh, it's your body's way of saying, you know, you need to start bringing in some help for you and not just giving out everything to everyone else. Certainly, slow down was a big message that I got. I don't know. How about you? What did you get out of it? It seemed like to me that that was, uh, you know, you're trying to do 200 things out of uh, a day that maybe 150 would be reasonable. <laughs> <sighs> Let's talk about the work that you do with some of your patients. I find it fascinating. And your patients have come back to you and and told you how wonderful it's been to have this change in their life. There are a couple of really uh, good examples of how issues from other lifetimes can impact us currently. Uh -huh. And if, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with a much shorter one because it's an example of how things that occur to us in another lifetime that we are not consciously aware of can affect uh, issues as common as like wanting to have children. A couple came to me, it's been over 20 years ago, and 
I think I was their Friday night entertainment. They both wanted to do a past life regression. They wanted to do an individual regression. And um, we did the man's regression first, and he had a real interesting lifetime. And then we did the woman's. And, you know, she didn't present that she had any problems or any issues. She was just curious. And sometimes when you do a session with someone, there's an, a, really a close psychic link, you know. And when I was in the induction phase and getting her into a relaxed state and then starting to take her into a tunnel, which I use as sort of the conduit between this life and the memory of a past life, I had like a vision of her. and. Um, it was almost like I could see this uh, event that had occurred in another lifetime. And I saw the, this picture of an Indian woman that was very pregnant and her face was contorted in pain. And um, sure enough, when we went through the tunnel and she went back to another lifetime, she did go to a lifetime where she was an, a Native American woman. And um, I always try to ask non-directive questions because I don't want to influence in any way what the person is perceiving. Mm -hmm. So I ask her, you know, things like, well, go to an important event that occurred in this lifetime. And initially she did. She went to the, her marriage to her husband and an important event that happened in their tribe. And then she started going to very insignificant events um, that were supposedly her important events, like one of them was going down to the stream with her friend to wash her clothes. So I knew that there was some fear or form of resistance there. And it's oftentimes there's a psychic link between the person that's being regressed and the person that's leading the regression. Mm -hmm. And even before I had the question asked, she beads of perspiration started on her forehead and on her upper lip and so i asked her you know do you have any children <clears throat> well before i got that question out uh she uh went to um a time where she was in labor and apparently she was in labor for three days the baby was in a breech position and it wound up that both she and the baby died. But mm -hmm. it was, there was a major shift in the energy in the room because when she left the physical body, she was able to connect with the soul of the baby that had died in that lifetime, and she recognized the soul of that baby as a favorite niece of hers in this lifetime. And it was like a huge confirmation that life doesn't end, you know, that we are eternal souls, and that um, it just made a huge difference. Uh, you could feel this tremendous light feeling, filling the room, and she started sobbing almost uncontrollably. But there was a tremendous release of energy. So um, That you could noticeably feel. And her husband felt, and she felt. I mean, it was uh, very cathartic. So, um, and she that past that that past trauma of both dying, and her fear of going into it that was being brought out phys physically with the beads of sweat. I mean, she she realized uh, that I was going to press her to bring up that question, 
before I'd even vocalized. You know, it's like there was a psychic link there, and she knew the question that I was going to ask. So, and it was almost like I, her guides, I don't know who provided that vision of her in labor, but somehow that vision was provided to me because it was going to be necessary for her to go to the next level and get out of, you know, whatever resistance she was having to seeing that. So I got a call from her about 18 months later, and she was probably 40 when she came for that session. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that she and her husband had been trying for 15 years to, to get pregnant. And she'd had seven in vitro fertilization attempts, but they'd all failed. Mm. And she called to tell me that she was seven months pregnant. And um, she, basically what had happened was that she had subconsciously resisted getting pregnant because she associated birth and pregnancy with death. Uh -huh. And so once that had been released and she knew that our soul was eternal, she was able to get pregnant. We hear so much of infertility and is that really what you think is going on when not just infertility but maybe other physical problems that doctors cannot figure it out do you think it could be some past life issue i think some of it can be i mean we're we're multi-sensate beings and we exist on a physical emotional spiritual level and mm. uh you know what we think very much affects what happens to us physically and what we bring into the world you know, as we're cre we're creating our reality each day. Mm -hmm. Now, you also ask about the young man. Uh, this is a much more um, sort of complicated case, but um, I worked with this man almost uh, 20 years ago, and at the time he was in his early 20s, and he was... Um, a paramedic and he was working for the California Medical Facility which is a, a prison that houses a lot of um, prisoners that have physical as well as mental problems up mm -hmm. in Vacaville and uh, he was working one weekend uh, doing MRIs and x-rays and so forth at the prison and some of the prisoners set their mattresses on fire so they had a lockdown and the guards and the prison help get locked in with the prisoners. Uh. And so they got the mattresses, you know, the fires put out, and uh, he was writing up the incident after this had happened uh, when all of a sudden he thought he was dying. He had these, uh, you know, his heart was racing. He couldn't breathe, and they rushed him to the emergency room and did all these tests and basically said he was fine. Uh, apparently it had been a panic attack. Well, each time he came to work, he would have one of these tremendous panic attacks where he thought he was going to die, literally. And uh, a friend of his uh, from high school had come into the area. He was selling guns at a local gun show on the weekend and his friend came into the gun show and uh, they struck up a conversation and he said there was this fair the next day, why didn't he come with him? So on a lark, this guy went to the fair with his friend and his wife and young baby, uh, he had two young children under three years of age, 
came with them, mm-hmm. and uh, they went. Uh, the the man I'll uh, call Reg um, decided to have a reading with me, and um, I started with doing his palm reading, and then I picked up quite a bit of information regarding his father. And his wife was a very strict Catholic, and she got freaked out by the mention of several of the details, which she thought no one should know. And so she took her kids and ran out of the hall because she thought this was witchcraft. <laughs> but he picked up my card, and uh, I picked up on some of the energy regarding the panic, and I told him about Brian Weiss's book, and... Uh, he said he picked it up and he read it in one night. It was just, he said it was exactly what he was feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, in the, the next week, he had an appointment in San Francisco, and when he was trying to drive across the Bay Bridge, he happened to look down and he saw the water, and he said it was like a bolt of lightning hit him. He got absolutely panic-stricken. He was like frozen. He had to stop the car in the middle of the bridge. He got out. He was throwing up, Mm. shaking. The highway patrol had to move the car off the freeway and call his wife down to drive him home. So he decided to do a regression because he'd read Weiss's book by this time. Mm. And uh, he made an appointment and came the following week. And he said the regression that he experienced was more vivid than any experience he's had in this lifetime and he went to a lifetime where he was a young indian girl about 13 or 14 years of age and apparently their tribe was raided in the middle of the night and he recalled running in the cold and he wasn't sure whether he was pushed off of this cliff or if he fell off of the cliff but he fell down this high cliff into a shallow shallow pool of water and he broke his neck in the fall so it paralyzed him but he died by drowning he was not able to move himself out of the pool Uh, and Mm. this uh, water uh, and not being able to breathe and yet being conscious was just tremendously terrifying and when he was laying on the sofa in the regression he started you know perspiration all over his forehead and he was saying you've got to get me out of this you've got to get me out of this and I uh, touched his shoulder and told him to go down deeper that he could go through this experience and he suddenly went through the death scene and emerged into what I would call a bhakti experience. It was like he felt like he'd merged with everything in the universe. Mm -hmm. And he saw this tremendous light. He felt he became part of the light. And uh, his fear of death was just completely dissipated because he felt that life, you know, did not end on physical death. And... um, from that he had been on several very powerful um, medications like Xanax and so forth to control the phobias Um, once he went through the regression he was able to stop the medication he had not been able to work for about a a year Mm -hmm. Um, he'd been doing some part-time work but nothing in the field for which he had been trained 
Mm -hmm. He said it was real interesting because he would periodically get situations that would remind him, that would bring up to the conscious level some of the incidents that had occurred in that past lifetime. And he would listen to parts of the tape that we had made and that would help him work through it and release the fear and the anxiety that had built up. Um, but he had always had severe allergies starting in the springtime, and that's when he had died in the other lifetime. And it's almost like the body was reacting by uh, simulating crying, you know, the, wow. the, the distress over losing the life at such a young age. And he said once he went through that regression and brought the incident of that lifetime and how it, it ended up to the conscious level, his allergies disappeared. So it's, oh. it's interesting how these things can affect our physical body. Mm -hmm. uh, then this happened over 15 years ago, but we periodically stayed in touch. Mm -hmm. He's come down for readings. He's brought his daughters down for hypnosis, etc. Mm -hmm. And then last July, I believe it was, June or July, I got an email from him that he had had a seizure at work, and um, they had diagnosed a brain tumor, but they thought it was benign. And he came down to do a couple other hypnosis sessions. Mm -hmm. And um, then he had gone back to work and thought, you know, because the, the doctor had said that this was a slow-growing tumor and that there was no need to operate. Well, at work he had another massive seizure. And uh, they did emergency surgery, which took like 12 hours, and it turned out that it was a very malignant form of cancer and very fast-growing. So um, after that, we've done three other regression sessions, mm -hmm. and he's recalled four other lifetimes where he died of a trauma to the same area of his brain that the tumor is in. Mm -hmm. And in two of those lifetimes, his father actually, his father in this current lifetime was the one that ended his life. In one lifetime, and this was like four or 5,000 years ago, he saw his father throwing a spear which went through his left eye and emerged out the back of his skull. Oh, and wow. That's exactly where the tumor is. The tumor is wrapped around the optic nerve and it's in a position where they cannot operate. Have you done a regression, another session with him on this particular past life to help him clear it? We've done um, three regression sessions, and uh, he's, he's had several lifetimes where mm -hmm. he's sustained trauma to that area. And it's like many things in our life, we think we've dealt with it, we think we've cleared it, and then... Mm -hmm. Here, another incident occurs, and it it's back there, you know, facing us in the face, you know, look, staring us in the face again because there's some part of it that we haven't released. Mm -hmm. uh, we've all, I've also done traditional hypnotherapy with him, uh, which can be very successful. I've worked with a number of cancer patients. Um, suggesting that the chemo and radiation that he chose to have uh, would only attack the cancer cells and that his healthy 
themselves would be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and also doing visualizations and suggestions for his healing, um, which, you know, the Menninger Institute in Kansas City, a very famous cancer treatment facility, uh, has done long-term studies of cancer patients, and they find that cancer patients who receive visualization or hypnotherapy along with their other treatments like uh, radiation or chemo have a 48% increased survival rate. What can we do? I mean, is is that part of your goal is to kind of help work with more and more and get that out there more? Because we see a lot of people that need it, and so I think we know that we've got this ability, too, and we more and more people are becoming aware of it. And see, we don't know what um, what the plan was. Uh, I believe that we do choose our parents before we incarnate, mm-hmm. and uh, we do have free will here on the earth plane. That's uh, something that's not, from what we've been told, typical in all areas of the universe. But um, it's hard to say whether or not, uh, you know, it's, in our cards to live or die at this particular time. You know, some people like uh, Louise Hay, who's been told that she has three months to live 40 years ago, will do visualizations and a number of alternative treatments and still be alive and healthy 40 years later. And other people, in spite of their prayers and their affirmations and their alternative work, die. So it's hard for us to say you know, it doesn't mean that this is a karmic punishment or that you've done something wrong. It may be, you know, part of your soul's journey that, mm-hmm. you know, that you were not meant to live a long lifetime. Maybe there's something else that you're to do on another plane. It's it's hard for us to judge. We're mm-hmm. here to, you know, use our talents as much as we can while we're here on this plane, but we cannot always be assured of the outcome. Mm. You know, Gayla, when you were talking about some of the symptoms of your clients, I, I think that other people would start to look back and say, wow, I wonder if that's what that illness was for me, and you know, start to look back and see it a little bit more. Is there a way that you, can you help other people, or can people teach themselves? How do we become more aware of these things? I think it it really helps to develop uh, confidence in your own intuitive hunches or your abilities and to work with your dreams. The dreams is, su- is such a powerful entree into our subconscious. Uh, Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, uh, used to work with dreams. He was also a great astrologer, by the way, and he diagnosed a rare uh, tumor in one of his patients based on a dream that she told him. So oftentimes our dreams can give us real clues as to what is going on in our body and also just listening to our intuition, um, taking time to meditate, um, journaling, um, working with art. uh, Those are all ways to sort of tap into the intuitive. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us about your book. Are you working on a book? Yeah, I'm working on my uh, a book about uh, several of the cases that I've done and sort of my journey through life, um, 
those meaningful synchronicities that take you to the next stage in your development. Uh, I do have a CD out that is a guided uh, past life regression. It's a little over an hour in length, and uh, I just got an email from our friend that is on that list with you, mm -hmm. and he's been working with it uh, for over a month now, and he keeps uncovering more lifetimes, and uh, he um, he listens to it uh, several times a week and brings up uh, lifetimes, and then he works with journaling that information, and actually, uh, I do these um, workshops both uh, in my home once a quarter and also at uh, a couple of the Bay Area colleges uh, all day workshops and I get feedback from people that you know initially they think oh I'm making that up and then they go back and they do some research online or at the library and they find the details that they had brought up that they thought they were making up existed in history. <laughs> You said that you, you have the psychic abilities, that there's a psychic cord, and that may come from the guides. How did you develop your psychic abilities? You know, over, I think, I think all of us have intuitive abilities, and some people may be more like clairvoyant, which is being able to see things. Some people are more clairsentient, where they feel things. Other people are clairaudient, where they hear things. Uh, my mom used to talk about when I was a tiny baby, like six months old, she would find me, you know, on top of the dresser, which was like 12 feet tall. <laughs> no way I could get up there. But I used to dream that I could fly, you know, and I know flying dreams are common, but I think as a baby I probably, w you know, had not forgotten how we could, uh, you know, move our physical body. <laughs> Of course, as we grow up and people tell us we can't do that, then we lose that ability. But um, I, I always have had a lot of ability to sort of know what was going on. And uh, sometimes when you're younger and your culture does not believe in it, you think you're kind of nuts, you mm -hmm. know, because you'll feel that someone's angry and they'll say, no, I'm not angry. <laughs> you think, well, what's going on? And as you get more feedback, as you work with it more, as you uh, learn to trust, like uh, our friend uh, went to the library and did some research on this particular time period that he had access during the regression, and he found historical facts that validated and confirmed what he had accessed, that's a validation and it helps us trust that what we're accessing is real. So the more you work with it, the more you uh, sort of learn to fine tune the information that you're getting, you learn to understand what you're accessing and how it applies in your life. So it just takes you know, it helps to, if if there's a group that's in, like I led a metaphysical uh, personal growth group in the town that I live in for over 20 years, and each week we do uh, a different topic. One, one week we might do psychometry, which is holding an object that belongs to someone and picking up any impressions that you have. And a lot of people would say initially, oh, I can't do that. And... Uh, but when they were paired with someone and they would 
give whatever impressions they had, whether it was a feeling, something they saw, something they heard, and they'd get that validated, it would help them learn to trust. Mm. If you can work in partnership with someone, even a friend, or if you can join a development group, that's very helpful. Some of the very good psychics or clairvoyants or mediums on TV, like John Edwards and James Von Prague, talk about being in development groups. You know, they sat in groups and sort of practice. And you need to do that to sort of hone your skills and to develop your confidence in how you're picking up information and learn how to separate out what's valid from what's not valid. I do want to say that Bilal, he's our friend that we're talking about. He is an old soul, and we are literally watching him raise his consciousness, and that's a fascinating thing. I think that's happening to a lot of us. But, you know, you just mentioned that partner and get into a development group and and hone these skills, meditate. When people talk of the great shift, 2012, we know we're we're already in that great shift, but there's some people who tend to get nervous. Again, thoughts become things, so don't focus on your fear. Focus on living in love and joy. But if people are thinking about this, they just don't want to be left behind, left behind like in this shift. What are your thoughts on that? What do you what can you speak to about this? Well, first of all, I don't think that our soul ever dies. So, it's really not a matter of anyone getting left behind. Mm-hmm. So, I think that many old souls are on the planet right now because we are in this tremendous transition period. And I've had uh glimpses of lifetimes in Atlantis and Lemuria and um I, one of the senses that I personally have is being so frustrated because we couldn't get the critical mass of people um, sort of awake to avoid destruction of the planet. I mean, it, the planet itself did not destruct, but life as we knew it did. Mm-hmm. And I've, I feel like we're at one of those peak periods, but I think our souls are going to be fine regardless. Mm. I just hope that we are able to get the consciousness to the level that we don't have to have another physical destruction of masses of people. But we are certainly going through, I mean, if you look at how much has come out in the last uh, 10 years, I mean, it's been phenomenal. We've accomplished in 10 years what might have taken thousands of years previously. Mm-hmm. And time is certainly speeding up and there's all sorts of new energies coming in, the solar plasma coming in through our uh, magnetosphere. There's a hole in the magnetosphere. So there's a lot more that we can do to elevate our light bodies and be in this new energy and flow with it instead of resisting it. And I think we're seeing some people are not able to handle that energy. So I think that's what our work here at this time is we're we're currently doing it and it will help everyone though I think we will be at that critical point or that tipping point if you will tell me a little bit about the glimpses you saw of yourself in Lemuria the Lemurian lifetime was sort of merged with an experience where I I associate with my own version of the fall you know Mm -hmm. and it's like I was trying to go back to the source of uh, a core abandonment issue that I have. Mm. And um, I went back to this, and it, a lot of it was primarily 
feeling. I mean, I felt this, like I had a tremendous hole in my heart, and I have the physical sensation of falling, but it was like the fall was experienced most in my heart area. It was just like this tremendous emptiness that I felt. I felt like I was spiraling downward, almost like you feel on a roller coaster, but without such a rush, you know, but you Mm. felt tremendous, like you were falling, falling, falling. And the first thing I became aware of was, um, after that sensation, was this feeling of uh, gradual movement, you know, and I initially, then it took me a while to realize I felt like I was in waves. And um, the next thing I realized was that um, I felt like I had a dolphin body. Mm. Now, I don't know if that was a physical body or not, but many have said that um, a lot of the physical forms that we have in, like, the Pleiadians are a body like a dolphin. Mm-hmm. And I've heard many say that there are certain transceiving stations like in Tibet and at Shasta where uh, there's a lot of ET activity. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly what I was experiencing, but I felt like, um, you know, this initial separation from oneness with God or whatever was felt as a mm-hmm. core of this abandonment issue, you know, mm-hmm. that I have faced. And um, then the next thing I became aware of was um, gradually being able to see, I was able to see waves, and then off in the distance I saw this, like, huge cataclysm. I saw all these, like, volcanic eruptions, all this fire and explosions, and um, then I did go to a feeling of tremendous peace, mm-hmm. but in Atlantis, I had visions of these huge crystals, mm-hmm. and somehow I didn't. It wasn't like you could see the whole lifetime. You would just get glimpses of it, you know, mm-hmm. see portions mm-hmm. of it. And the person that was leading me did not, you know, expand upon it. So I, I haven't subsequently gotten any more information on that particular lifetime but the image that I have uh, one of the images that I have from Atlantis is being a woman and having uh, clairvoyant ability and they somehow harness that ability to operate these huge crystals and the crystals were used for positive, sort of like atomic energy, for positive but also very destructive energy. Mm-hmm. And the energy wound up uh, eventually destroying the mm-hmm. physical planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, then, and then there is another uh, lifetime where I was a black male and I would go into this pyramid. And I don't know if the pyramid was an actual physical structure or if it was like going within to meditate, but I envision going into this pyramid to receive information, and um, I came out of this particular pyramid, and um, the information that I had received was that we had to move because there was going to be a big cataclysm, and there were six or seven other men in the community that had positions of, like, authority or power, and they didn't want that disrupted, and so... Mm. 
as I was walking to my home, they sprang up from under this bridge and stabbed me in the back. And it's interesting because I do have birthmarks where mm. I saw myself being stabbed in that lifetime, mm. in that same area of my body. Mm. And I went through a tremendous uh, experience in this lifetime um, that was parallel on an emotional level to the betrayal in that lifetime, mm. where I was in a car wreck that should have ended my life. Uh, and uh, the damage to my physical body was in the same area of my physical body. Mm. Um, and I'd completely forgotten about the regression where I had brought up this information until I was in uh, the acupuncturist's office and he was doing some trigger point therapy on the area where I was having a lot of physical pain. And uh, when he was working on that area, all of a sudden the scene from that other lifetime that had occurred in a regression 15 years previously mm. just flooded the entire room. Mm -hmm. And I saw the link between what had happened in that other lifetime and what was going on at that time in my life. And the core issues of, you know, working together collectively to accomplish a spiritual as well as a political purpose um, and yet having under, under uh, you know, underneath it, personal greed or desire for power uh, subvert that were exactly the same in both lifetimes. So, you know, it's like, uh, I think we're at a testing point. You call it a tipping point. But, you know, I've had personal recollections, and I think many of us alive today are here because we were there in Atlantis and Lemuria and we recognize the importance of the decisions that we're making now. Yes. You know, you, you said some things about the dreams and it just makes me think back about some of the recurring dreams I've had. And one time in a meditation with our group, we there's a soul singer, Shirley Irene, who was singing Emula. Lemuria, Imula, and when she started singing that, I just, I felt like I was there, and I felt that hole in my heart, and one of the most profound things that came over me was, I wish there was no such thing as money. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sounds so simple, but thank you for sharing your own experiences, because I know that me, by listening to you, and others who listen to you, are just going to look back and and start to realize things as well and it's an exciting time to be here we all chose to be here and I think we all do know that we can co-create and focus on on the love and joy and and these use the, the testing point I agree with you because yes I had an experience last Friday where I chose the probably the frustrated route instead of the love and how we could come over this and I just watched my day spiral downward so that's so important now to take time out and and meditate and breathe deeply and clear these and try to protect ourselves from that outward stress so that we can stay centered and look for those synchronicities and realize that we're mirroring for one another and if something really triggers a strong feeling in you to try to go down to the source of that feeling and figure out what is it that is triggering this in me mm. 
I would love to find out where we can get your CD. You can order it on my website, uh, which is www.galareiter.com, or you can email me at gala, G-A-Y-L-A, at mind, M-I-N-D, spring, S-P-R-I-N-G, dot com. Great. And you're available to help people with readings as well? Yes. I can do phone readings, and uh, if you're in the Bay Area, I can do in-person readings. I would like to thank you so much, and I'd like to just allow you a moment to close and share any final comments from this conversation today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, and uh, I feel pretty complete. It was uh, a wonderful experience, and I think uh, it's a very interesting time that we live in, and I'm thankful for friends like you that help me understand and uh, appreciate what's going on. And I'd like to see our charts and see where we fall there, too. I've just met a number of people lately online, thanks to the Internet, and thanks to the connection for Lemuria. And we've done the charts, and it's amazing how much we have in common. And we're just coming together again. Yes. And that's what's fun. Um, I loved the part where you mentioned your client, Reg, where he went into that space, a beautiful place, where he felt at one. Like Brian Weiss, it certainly must have affected you as well. Well, I had, you know, on my website there is an uh, article uh, that I wrote about me, and it talks about my own, uh, what I call, bhakti experience, where I went through so many losses in a short period of time. I, I lost my daughter to SIDS. My husband couldn't handle it. He uh, left uh, in a very traumatic way. Uh, both of my parents and both of my sisters died, and... Um, you know, there was this big betrayal for the huge case that I'd worked on for seven years at work and so forth. Mm. And so it's like everything that I thought was important was ripped away from me. Mm. And I, I've always loved swimming. Swimming's like a meditation for me. It may be part of my dolphin experience. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh-huh. But um, I would be swimming my laps. You know, you can kind of get into an altered state, you know. And... Yeah. Um, in this one particular um, swim, I had, you know, maybe done 60 laps, and I had this evolving vision. And um, it turned out to, um, at the end of the vision, there were several symbols, and at the end of the vision, there was this man that had this huge afro. And um, I had no idea what this meant, and then through a series of synchronicities, I had a dream, uh, I think it was that night, uh, about the significant mountain, and um, the next night I went to a book reading. A book fell from the third shelf of the book uh, case and hit me on the head, and it was oh. sure this mountain I'd seen in the dream, and the book was oh. about Sai Baba, and... I was in this, uh, it was like an experimental uh, channeled uh, healing process uh, 15, 20 years ago, and uh, we went through a series of um, experiential uh, events to, you know, get at core stuff, and at the end of each weekend session, we would draw one person's name to include in our prayers and affirmations for the following week. 
well, 12 of the 15 times I draw this one woman's name. Mm -hmm. And it turned out she had been a follower of Sai Baba for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so we wound up going to India together to see Sai Baba. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah. the full story is on my website, but uh, there was a significant experience uh, on Christmas Day where Sai Baba actually came up and I had left my physical body. I had this experience of merging with everything in the universe, feeling that we're all connected and just mm. totally blissed. And I felt this sharp jabbing pain. and. The woman next to me was letting me know that Sai Baba was right in front of me and gesturing. Um, I had seen him at the start of this process sitting. He, they brought a chair down because the tradition is for the Western devotees to sing him Christmas carols, and it looked like he was wiping a tear from his eye. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking inwardly, well, his devotees consider him to be God. I wonder if God cries. And then I went into this uh, meditation and that led to this blissful state. And here he was standing right in front of me. He looked directly into my eyes and made this gesture of wiping a tear from his eye. So uh -huh. it was amazing. <laughs> when I went to India, I, you know, I did not know who he was. And mm. yet when I did, his, I found out his birth information when I was in India. And I found out that his sun sign is the same degree and minute of Sagittarius that my moon sign is. Mm. So it just shows how we all are connected, and uh, you can often, via astrology, look at the personal connections between you and another that seem significant in this lifetime. One last question. Have you ever felt a connection to Hawaii? Absolutely. <laughs> I have a timeshare <laughs> in Kauai, and I feel it was once part of ancient Lemuria, and there's a whole other story there. <laughs> I've been called there ever since I was a little girl. I just, I love the water as well. Well, Gayla, thank you so much. I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren. <laughs>